Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, guys. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to our show. Today we discuss about stories. I love storytelling style. I create content by using storytelling. And today we are going to cover a lot more. And our main topic, the seven essential stories charismatic leaders tell. I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Kyrian Terakan. How are you? Good, good Dan. Totally. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, big pleasure. Want to learn more about that. I know it's important to share stories and big brands usually share stories. And uh, I love this quote, companies don't sell products, they sell stories. So let's talk more about that. Kyrian, before we start, just tell more about yourself, experience, background, and why you pay attention to this topic that Uh, leadership and uh, telling stories. <laughs> so I'm a sales and marketing strategy consultant. Uh, so I've been doing this for well over 27 years now, maybe closer to well over 30 as possible, right? And I started out in selling uh, in sales uh, right out of university. And I quickly realized, you know, sales is only a portion of the topic. The other portion, the other half is marketing. And then I quickly figured out that within marketing, Uh, the the essence of it is the idea of being able to tell a compelling narrative. And that narrative is a whole bunch of different things. You know, you the very first thing you sell is the big idea surrounded by some key messages, all encompassed in a narrative. And that narrative is with your customer as hero. Once they buy into that story, and it's a transformation story of how your hero, the customer, will become something bigger, better, different as a result of using your products and services. So that transformation story is the first thing they sell. No one transacts cash for that. But once they buy into it, then the actual product sale becomes uh, an absolute just, it just happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice, nice. I think uh, it's important to share stories. For example, I remember a great story that Tim Cook shared uh, in new presentation about Apple Watch. And uh, he shared even three stories, not one. And after watching all these stories, I got the feeling I need to have it. I need to own this Apple Watch because this gadget can help me a lot, can decide my problems, simplify my life. Yeah, you watch this presentation as well. <laughs> and, no, you know, I, yeah, you know, Apple is a master storyteller, you know, and they're a corporation, but they have stories embedded in everything they do. Yeah. And, you know, uh, what I like on this presentation, uh, that uh, Tim Cook didn't share a lot of features that Apple Watch has uh because many other smartwatches can have such features but he shared three stories how apple watch decides problems and i got the feeling i need to have it have it i need to own this apple watch and i bought three pairs for me for my son for my wife because these guys probably kill me you know if i buy only for myself it's selfish but you know uh can you tell how to create similar stories that provokes to make actions that uh, ask uh, customers you need to do it you need to take it you need to have it uh, any insights about that 
Well, the very first thing before you craft your story is you have to have a deep understanding and empathy for your customer, uh, who they are today, specifically their identity. And what I say is that uh, everything that you bring into your life, whether it's a new product or a new relationship or a new anything, does one of only three things. It either supports, enhances, or repairs your sense of self-identity. If it's counter to your sense of self-identity as a customer, uh, you will not bring it into your life. You will reject it. But if it has any ability to support, enhance, or repair, you're at least going to be intrigued. Your curiosity is going to be raised as to exactly how it's going to do those things. Once you understand the identity of that customer, have an, understand, have an empathy for who they are today and where they want to go and who they want to be tomorrow, you then have the basis of a transformation story. And then if you can fit your products and services as a way to enable that transformation story, then you've got the start to a whole set of story themes that you can incorporate and adopt. Mm -hmm. Nice. Okay. Uh, can you tell how to learn customers then if we need to craft the story? Because uh, everything starts from customers, preferences. And it's interesting. Many years ago when I started my digital marketing journey, uh, I had uh, uh, an online shop, but I didn't spend any time to learn my customers because uh, competition was low. So uh, I created content, Google ranked, uh, I set up uh, uh, paid marketing, for example, Google ads, Facebook ads uh, by paying five, 10 cents per click. But things change today. I need to pay five, ten dollars. I can't get uh, back even five, ten dollars if I don't consider uh, customer preferences, learning their insights. So can you tell how to do it? Because I see when companies analyze the average data from tools, from studies, but it doesn't mean that your customers are the same. Even more, your customers are different, even if you sell the same products. Any tips how to learn customers before creating story? Well, the simple, there's probably two different ways to do that. And the first way is to actually watch their behavior. Uh, and if you're online, it's very easy to do, is to watch their behavior in how they interact with different online assets. So, for example, uh, if you uh, got a category of uh, product that you're in and that category fits a certain kind of lifestyle that your customers are living, Let's say it's a hunting lifestyle or fishing or, or whether it's gardening, things like that. The easiest thing to do would be to go over to YouTube, go over to Twitter, go over to Facebook groups and take a look at the top viral content in those, uh, in those uh, particular channels. And you're looking for the most likes, the most interactions and engagement with, the, with that content. And you have a pretty good idea at that point in time, what we call the zeitgeist. You know, what is the essence of what is going on in the minds of the, the mass of customers? This is a group thing. It's a group thing now, right? So that particular group of gardeners now really love this kind of video. Uh, that group of hunters and fishermen like this kind of Twitter uh, tweets and such. So now we have a whole bunch of different topics and more importantly, angles to the topic. And the angles are more important. The angles are simply a, per, a perspective uh, to that topic. So the topic might be, you know, for example, uh, environmentalism. And, you know, the angle might be, might be environmentalism has barely touched the surface of where it needs to be. And the other angle might be environmentalism has gone too far. And those are two different angles. 
And so depending on where you go with all this kind of stuff, you have a pretty good idea of what your customer is thinking. From there, you would then craft uh, some depth interviews and you would try and find people uh, within the categories that represent your perfect archetype, uh, that perfect avatar. And you would get uh, 20, 30, 40 of these interviews going to really understand what they do, how they do it, why they do it. The most important thing is why. What is the motive behind their actions? And between the overall zeitgeist of, uh, of the uh, trends in viral content and these depth interviews, you're going to find your own position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Uh, you know, you remind me of the quote that uh, the era of lazy marketers is dead. <laughs> you know, because uh, if you want to get uh, or collect data about your customers, you need to spend time to provide this deep research. And I'm interested about getting enough data than getting over data you know we have three points less data enough data over data and i found that many data specialists usually tell you don't need to collect more data than you need and because it can confuse what to do where to pay attention and i remember when jeff bezos uh, replied to the request of research team uh, that asked him Please provide more time to learn about this product, uh, a new product, uh, because he told nobody knows. We need to test. We need to experiment. We need to do it. And this product was Alexa. <laughs> Today, most yeah, homes right. in the US have this product. Uh, so uh, Jeff Bezos got enough data uh, and started to implement this product. Can you tell how to find the balance uh, between less, enough, and over data? <laughs> the, uh, I think the ultimate thing is this. Um, if we take a look at, uh, the ultimate thing is, are you getting the response to the communication that you have? And, you know, and the communication might be simply, you know, you're giving a speech and you're finding how many people clap for you enthusiastically, not the polite clap. But they are just right into it. But online, for example, with e-commerce, the ultimate thing is what's the click-through rate? What's the conversion rate? What's your average order value? And those kind of things. And if those items, you know, those KPIs, and you might have 20, 30 KPIs, of which five or six are really important. Uh, if those KPIs are well below average, that means you do not understand your customer. That's all it means. Now, if those KPIs are very, very high in comparison with the average, then you probably have a very good understanding of your customer's motives and identity. And you can now double and triple down on that understanding. So all you're doing is testing that, you know, those, those KPIs. And you'll have different KPIs for different channels, whether it be physical channels or online channels. Mm -hmm. uh, can you tell what to do if you launch a new product so you don't know customers you don't know what they want to get uh, but you can learn competitors their pain points so you can see why customers are not satisfied with existing products because uh, most great products appeal when customers are not satisfied with existing products uh, and uh, new products can provide new benefits uh, uh, much better experience so can you tell how to learn customers if you start from scratch if you start from scratch scratch was a yeah. brand new product category or are you trying to supplant yes yes product? 
a brand, brand new category, brand new product, everything new. Well, there's only one way to do that. And that is to actually put the product in front of as many people as you can and have absolutely no ego when it comes to the results. In fact, uh, you know, you are the absolute best person to uh, put that in front of somebody. In fact, uh, we always know that if you've hired a market research team and things like that uh, as a as a small entrepreneur, uh, if you've done that, you probably don't have the innate soulful understanding of the pain points and the passion points that your customers really want to see in the in the product. I had an entrepreneur come to me uh, a few years ago, and he had invented a brand new uh, household tool. It's a very common tool you would find in uh, in your toolkit, you know, uh, you know your tool bag. And he had invented this. He had then gone out and spent $30,000 on getting a patent for it. And he got a patent for it. And, you know, and a lot of naive entrepreneurs say, wow, I got a patent for this. But realistically, the patent only says that you're unique and you have different features. It doesn't mean that anybody's going to buy it from you. When I asked him how many people he had shown this tool to, he said none. Absolutely none. And my meeting with him lasted all of 15 minutes, but I can I knew immediately that uh, no one's going to use this. Yeah, you've got a patent for it, but the way to sell these products is by getting onto the shelves of uh, Home Depot and Lowe's. You know, you don't sell it one by one. And those people already have their own products in that category. And this product was so silly, even with a patent. Mm-hmm that there's no possible way he was going to do that. It was a very quick meeting and uh, I, he will never get that $30,000 spend back. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about creativity. I found that creativity is the most important aspect uh, at any content uh, because, you know, uh, I see, uh, for example, today we live in the era of AI tools, uh, chat GPT, many others, Jasper. Uh, we have our tool that can help to create uh, text for all website pages. So you need to add your website to get text. But uh, it's interesting that I found uh, all these tools, AI, uh, are not creative. Now, it's hard to get creative stuff by using AI. If you ask uh, ChatGPT, please uh, create a story, this tool will create the story, but it's not creative. You know? And uh, I like the example from uh, uh, Lloyd Richardson. Uh, it's interesting uh, about the story that he published a book 11 years ago, and he spent 14 years to write this book. So, so much effort, uh, uh, but he couldn't sell this book for around 11 years. So he tried marketing channels, uh, sales channels, but it didn't help. Then his daughter posted yeah, content on TikTok right. for account with zero followers, zero. And this video became viral, plus 50 million watched this video. Today, this book is bestseller on Amazon. So I watched this video. You know, it's not like uh, many other content that we have today. Not a nice looking design, just simple design, nothing special. But I got curiosity. Wow, what is the, the book? You know, uh, the author spent 14 years to write this book. It's probably valuable stuff. It's interesting. So uh, I that was creative, you know, not like many other uh, marketing messages that we have today. So can you tell how to be creative, how to become creative if you uh, create your story? 
What I uh, we regularly use AI tools in the creation of copy for our clients, but we tell them we're using AI tools. We're uh, we have a whole division of our company that does coaching for uh, e-commerce merchants. Uh, it's called Merchant Mastery, Shopify merchants, and so we give them the tools to uh, develop copy, create copy, etc. Now, what we always say to them is. Uh, AI, chat GPT, if you put your uh, your about page in there and your customer reviews in there and things like that, it can hone in very quickly to the major ideas of what people find valuable. But ultimately, you have to use your own personality and brand voice uh, to come up with something creative that is very different. I, I always know when um, chat GPT has created something because it doesn't have as much flavor in the writing as when a human does it. And that flavor is what makes it real and authentic and your own. And so ChatGPT is a great tool to get you 80% of the way there, but it's that last 20% that is very, very difficult uh, to, to really tap into. And the only way you can do that is by tapping into your deep soul, deep heart, you know, and then uh, expanding that through your mind into something that is very cogent and more importantly, you. It's got to be you in that text. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, it's important to use AI like any other tool, by the way, uh, in the correct way. I mean, like, for example, uh, when Elon Musk shared on Twitter how he asked ChatGPT about very specific question, I spent like uh, three times to read this question, you know, to understand what Elon Musk want to ask from ChatGPT uh, to understand. And ChatGPT gave long answer uh answering to this question you know and but i see when people set up generic request like write an article about paid loss uh please uh, give me tips about that you know very simple so you need to create the right prompts and you know guys if you have no prompts the best way how you can find them ask ChatGPT provide these prompts <laughs> i've done that <laughs> you can done that ask now, right? Yeah. yeah, you can ask ChatGPT, please help me with prompts that will help me to create great content by using ChatGPT. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Simple. <laughs> yeah. And uh, okay, I'm interested about uh, other aspects that customers love: simplicity. You know, uh, or uh, even not not only simplicity, even more about creating non-boring content. You know, I found uh, that. Most content are boring. According to data that we have, uh, people uh, bounce watching videos fast on YouTube, like uh, 80% can bounce in the first 20 seconds. Uh, it's the same with website content. It's the same with any content, audio podcast, it doesn't matter. And uh, people usually read only 5% of all books. So 95% are ignored because it's boring. And once I spoke with Jim Edwards, uh, he worked in Business Insider in 10 years, and he told me that their success depends on creating non-boring content. So if you create non-boring content, then uh, you can uh, win your customers, you can hook them, you can catch their attention, retain them until the end. Uh, but <coughs> I see when people create boring content, and uh, for example, when I read some uh, business books, I love them reading, but most of them are boring. You know, when I take them, uh, they most of them are great for sleeping you know when you pro have problems with sleep you know it's valuable but it's boring you know can you tell how to create non-boring content 
Uh, the only way to do that is by tapping into the deep pain and passion points of your customer. You have mm -hmm. to have that deep empathy to understand their pain and passion points even better than they do. Uh, once you understand that, then you know how to tease those pain and passion points, create curiosity, create intrigue, create a sense of excitement and compelling content. Then from there is a matter of writing it out. Now, you might not be a great writer by yourself. And so you might want to hire somebody to do that. But the writing part is dependent on your deep understanding of that pain and passion points and then how to tease those in a way that is satisfying uh, to, to the reader. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I opened your LinkedIn profile because I love opening LinkedIn profiles. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> I found, you know, on your LinkedIn profile, you start your bio sales and marketing strategy. Let's talk more about that because according to some studies, sales people distrust marketers and they don't share data that marketers need to create yeah. a marketing message. So can you tell from your experience how to unite? salespeople and marketers uh, in order to create a cohesive strategy? The, uh, so I've been a, a very good salesperson and I've been a good marketer. And uh, as a result of those experiences as a young man, you know, I've actually run sales and marketing integrated teams. And the only way, in fact, I do that right now uh, with my own company. So we have a uh, Uh, the strategy company is a company of one. That's just me. But I am also a business partner in a company called Socialite Communications. We have about 35 people there, digital marketing agency. But half of the uh, business is all about a learning portal called Merchant Mastery. And we've got about a thousand merchants enrolled in that program right now. Shopify merchants learning how to uh, build thriving e-commerce sites. Now, we have a marketing team over on that side of the business, and we have a sales team over on that side of the business. One of the most powerful ways to get them to unite is to get them onto the same scorecard of KPIs and then reward them on the same metrics. So they're both rewarded for them. Part of the problem with, uh, with uh, salespeople, sales teams, and marketing teams is that they operate from two different KPI scorecards. And they are rewarded differently as well. They're not rewarded on the same KPIs. So what that what I've seen many times, far too often, is that marketing teams, uh, there's a lot of busy work that's going on. And they are flat out. They're producing content, things like that. And they are putting out marketing qualified leads, MQLs, right? But the sales team doesn't like them. <laughs> because they mm -hmm. think they're underqualified, not enough, uh, no financial uh, quality to them, you know, th those kinds of things. So until you get both teams onto the same KPI score sheet and then reward them similarly uh, for achieving those KPIs, you can't get that unity because they're two different cultures. The ultimate KPI for marketing is deals closed which is typically a sales KPI. But we reward our marketing team based on revenue produced, okay? Not content produced, uh, not open rates, nothing like that. No one cares about that stuff until it leads yeah. to revenue. And so we reward them on revenue. Yeah, I love it. Love it. Yeah, great tip. You know, uh, you remind me another customer, 
who told me that he lost uh, 400,000 traffic, but he didn't lose any sales. So <laughs> he, he got huge traffic, you know, a lot of traffic, but this traffic didn't sell products uh, because people often pay attention to metrics like traffic, likes, comments. Yeah, yeah. But vanity metrics, vanity metrics. You don't need to do it. Find metrics that will provide results. Uh, I don't care about traffic if this traffic didn't help to sell, but uh, it's better to get 100 people but to sell products than uh, 100,000 people but don't sell anything with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's talk about, um, you know, uh, about uh, salespeople more. Uh, can you tell? uh how to collect the right data from salespeople uh in order to create market uh, marketing strategy because you know i see when people create generic strategies uh and can you tell which what kind of data to take from salespeople uh to create the strategy that considers unique selling proposition and the level of competition I don't know if it's from collecting from salespeople. Salespeople is just one of the uh, data points that you would uh, mm -hmm. incorporate. The ultimate data points are going to be uh, about how people use your product. And so mm -hmm. what do they love about your product? What do they hate about your product? What do they find indifferent? Indifference is the worst. Because love, you can actually double down, triple down on. Hate, you can theoretically cure in some way. Indifference is one of that you know desert lands <coughs> excuse me, that no one thrives in. And because of that, you know, it's uh, it's more difficult to understand how to cure that. Now, that understanding there, you know, we have a coaching team as well. And that coaching team produces reams of data about what people are uh, struggling with, what people love, what people hate, you know, and what people find indifferent. And then they feed it back to the salespeople to uh, develop more, what is it, uh, qualifications at the front end, even before bringing them into the program. And then, of course, all of that is communicated back to the marketing team to create content and key messaging ideas, the big ideas uh, that will go into the content creation. So it's a very circular type of process. Um, and, you know, ultimately, it comes down to this one thing. Are we increasing sales as a result of that? And if we're not doing that, then we are not collecting the proper information or using the proper information. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to ask you about our main topic, the seven essential stories charismatic leaders tell. Guys, it's not topic of our book. It's the main headline of a book <laughs> uh, that Kyrian wrote. So, you know, uh, I want to ask you about benefits. What kind of benefits I can get? my audience can get by reading your book because you know i have a huge list of books that i need to read it's so big i have no time to read a teeny percent of all these books i want to read all of them but yeah lack of time many other priorities to do but anyway i love reading books for me it's the most important format uh, i love this content better than any other content because book offers usually spend like uh, so much time you know to to write a book like six months and year it depends but uh, for an article podcast episode video it takes like a few hours probably a few days no, not a lot so can you tell about benefits what kind of benefits you share on your book and give us a <coughs> reason to read it 
The uh, so I wrote this book a couple of years ago. It's called "The Seven Essential Stories Charismatic Leaders Tell." It's on available on Amazon right now, three dollars and forty nine cents. It's very inexpensive mm, for the Kindle yeah. version, for the Kindle version. And ultimately, what it comes down to is, what are the seven essential stories that you can use to motivate people? to compel people to action, whatever that action is, either to follow you or to buy your products or to organize in a way that it'll achieve some kind of result. So what you will find is that the, and the, the book is riddled with stories of how people from throughout history have used these seven stories in order to move people and mountains. So any charismatic leader that you uh, that is out there, you know, you can go from Moses in the Bible all right, all the way up mm -hmm. to John F. Kennedy or Eleanor Roosevelt, Mohandas Gandhi. When you look at the stories they told, when you look at the speeches that they gave, you will find that these seven stories were embedded in those kinds of uh, the, that kind of output that they put that they uh, that they gave to their people, because these seven stories are primal. They are necessary for the mind of your of your audience, your customers, your people in order for it to understand who they are, why they're here, what's the purpose, where are we going to get, uh, go next, and why we will win. So there's seven stories in there, seven topics, and then within those topics, uh, those seven story categories, there's just dozens of examples that you can use to, uh, to impel this. And you don't need to spend $3.49. If you come to my website right now, you can download the infographic for it. And I've got a free infographic for you on the right-hand column. Uh, just download away uh, and it's at strategypeak.com. So strategy and then mountain peak, strategypeak.com, right-hand column. Nice, nice, guys. I'll submit the link uh, in the description below to this book. And uh, I want to ask you about things that I usually do. I do a lot of them. Uh, mistakes. You know, in my life, I made a lot of mistakes. I keep doing them. But I, I can learn from mistakes. For me, failing only brings a new experience, nothing else. And I remember... When uh, Mark Zuckerberg said about uh, failing, uh, even more about risk, he told that the biggest risk is not to take the risk. So can you tell about uh, common mistakes that people still do uh, by crafting stories and your tips how to do it better? The, the number one mistake is that they don't tell stories. Mm-hmm. The number two mistake they make is they tell the wrong stories. <laughs> and the uh, number three mistake they make is they tell boring stories. So it might be the right story, but it's boring. It's not told very well. So yeah. it's either no stories, the wrong stories, or boring stories. And those are the three things that you have to fix. And these seven stories in the book, you know, and there's... I'll quickly rattle off the stories for you, if you like, Anatoly. Uh, yep. First one is creation origin, and that's how did we start? What was the inciting incident? Uh, the second one is our identity, beliefs, and values. Who are we as people? Who are, who are we as people? What are the absolute highest values that we aspire to? What do we hold sacred? What, what must we never violate? Uh, third idea, uh, third book is the big idea. What is that central organizing concept that brings everything else that we do together? 
the fourth story is the enemy we face. What is the uh, what is the thing that we fight against, or what do we fight for? So an enemy doesn't have to be an individual. You know, during hurricane season down in Florida, it's the wind, <laughs> it's the rising yeah. water. You know that. Can, and so, how do we prepare for the hurricane? Right. Uh, Story number five is all about the mighty winds. And these are the big macro trends in the environment uh, that propel your ship forward. And these are winds, right? And the winds are the macro trends of societal winds, uh, technological, environmental, uh, economic, political, legislative winds. And these are either going to propel your ship forward, refuse to propel your ship forward, or capsize your boat. And so you have to really understand what those uh, six winds are. Uh, story number six is going to be the journey we must undertake. So the first five stories are all about the left-hand side of the equation. And if those five stories are believable, then obviously we need to do this. We have to go and undertake this journey. And it's all about understanding what that journey is. And the final story is what we call a meta-narrative. And a meta-narrative is uh, all about telling the first six stories, all six stories in a shorter form. But now we call it the why we will win story. We take those six stories, put it into a meta narrative with the addition of keystone elements. And these keystone elements are what guarantee the win. So common keystones that you've heard throughout history would be things like God is with us, superior technology, superior people, superior strategy. And there's hundreds of them. And then when you infuse the first six stories and summarize them in the meta narrative and create uh, the keystones that you will embed in there, you have a very powerful way to get people onto your side and ready to move forward with you. And those are the seven stories. Nice, nice. Awesome, awesome. Guys, I put this book on my list, huge list. So I recommend to anyone to read it because you can see, you can learn from examples. Uh, by the way, I love learning from examples, real stories, not just uh i don't know some stuff that uh smells like fake so yeah and uh, do it's better to practice uh let's talk about practice you know uh, i see when people overlearn you know they get new skills and do nothing for example it's interesting that um, uh, for example uh, i can forget about new skills for a few hours so fast because I have many other things to do. Uh, and I found that practice is better than uh, learning. Uh, of course, we need to learn. Of course, we need to learn to get the right skills, but we need to implement, to test it. Can you tell how to do it right? How to practice? For example, if I read your book and practical tips, what to do after reading and going ahead? You have to get into a habit. You know, mm, the, uh, yeah. the the quality of your life, the impact of your life is largely based on not things that you do haphazardly, but that you do as a matter of routine and habit. Now, if anybody knows you well, anybody, think of a friend, your parents, you know, siblings, anybody who really knows you well, if there is a question, they know how Anatoly will react to it. Okay, because they understand the character of Anatoly. And character is largely the, the result of the habits that you practice. A character forms the habits, habits form the character. It's a circle, right? It's a reciprocal circle. So whatever those habits are, you have to put those into play that it becomes unconscious. It becomes subconscious to just what you do. Now, 
prior to about 1900 in the United States, brushing your teeth was not a habit for most people. It was the result of a marketing campaign that caused people that you wake up in the morning and one of the first things you do will be to brush your teeth. And in fact, for the vast majority of us, we would feel not very good. We'd feel a little icky if we didn't brush our teeth. And, you know, it was such a problem in the early 1900s that uh, one of the chief reasons that men were not admitted to the U.S. Army was because of poor dental health. They were missing teeth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was that kind of thing, right? So now yeah. this is a recent habit that has happened in the last 70, 80 years, 90 years, right? Not very long at all. And so you do those kinds of things and you make it a habit. Here's a here's one that is very simple. Uh, Stephen King, I was just uh, reading a little thing about Stephen King, uh, the, the prolific writer of, you know, horror novels and, and such, right? And uh, he, his habit is to write 2,000 words a day, regardless of the quality of those words. He just writes 2,000 words a day. And then he takes those 2,000 words and then he edits it later. So the, the spewing, the, the stream of consciousness is what he gets on paper. 2,000 words a day, rain or shine, and then he will make it great later. And so the line is simply this, you know, amateurs wait for inspiration. Everybody else just has to do. Yeah, yeah, agree. No excuses. Yeah, completely agree with that. I remember uh, the book from Jack London, Martin Eden, about the guy who didn't have education, experience, but he had passion and he wrote every single day. And uh, you talked about Stephen King. I remember he's the best tip that I got. Uh, was like, if you want to improve your writing skills, you need to do two things, to write and read a lot. So, you know, just yeah, yeah. do two things consistently. No excuses, because if you find excuses, if you can't do today, then you make two steps back, you know, in your uh, experience. And uh, it doesn't mean that you need to write if you don't like to write. Find another format, but be consistent. You can film, you can record audio podcasts, uh, you can create design, but do it consistently. Improve, develop your skills in format that you like more. Uh, I have the last question about the future. You know, we have AI today that can help a lot, like a regular tool. Uh, and uh, many things can, I don't know, like metaverse, uh, augmented reality. We'll see. I don't know what kind of future will be. But anyway, uh, I found that marketers need to adapt fast. So technologies are coming fast, but human psychology are the same. And for example, when I read uh, great books like from Josh Ugerman, Seth Godin, you know, people are the same, but we have technologies. And we need to uh, develop our techniques, uh, methods, but uh, to consider the same psychology of people. So can you tell uh, what kind of future will be and how to adapt today to this future? <laughs> That's a big question. Yeah. Um, here's, you know, I think you are absolutely right when you say that human psychology has not changed in 
in 15,000, 20,000 years. You know, modern human civilization has been around about 12 to 15,000 years now, something like that, where we stayed in one place, you know, built institutions, grew our own crops, raised farm animals, you know, those kinds of things, right? And that, so human, you know, the human emotions like greed and love and, you know, desire and hate and all that, they're part of who we are as people. Uh, what we've learned to do in that uh, time, though, is take those kinds of resources we have, this marvelous mind that we have, and uh, be able to to focus it into into productive pursuits, <laughs> into productive pursuits, and where we are actually creating things that benefit uh, us, our families, our our uh, our communities, our society, those kinds of things. Right? That's not to say that you know capitalism and you know all the other variations haven't gone off and done a lot of stupid and harmful things in the way as well. But I think at the core, most people want to be able to create safety, security, and opportunity for themselves, for their uh, families, for their friends, society, and they want everybody to be able to participate in that. Everybody pretty, pretty much wants to, uh, to create those things. Now, what's going on now is this just rapid, rapid ascent of technology. And so 1969 is when the very first uh, inklings of the internet started, right? Mm -hmm. It connected four universities to transfer files. By 1994, everybody could access the internet on the World Wide Web. You know, and then by, and it created all sorts of tidal waves of opportunity and tsunamis of destruction in its process. So nobody buys a typewriter anymore, right? No one buys a typewriter. You go into Google Docs, right? Maybe use Microsoft Word. You do it yourself, put it on your laser printer. Uh, there's very few calls for typist or you know, typist as a profession. So we're seeing all this way that technology, and that's one of the six uh, mighty wins, how it absolutely forces people into compliance in using the technology either to better themselves or be crushed by it in the process. And the only way to not be crushed by it is to opt out of society, you know, and then you go out and be a hermit somewhere, live your life by yourself, that kind of thing. But, you know, like you and I are marketers. We have no choice but to adapt to the AI. We have no choice but to use ChatGPT and Jasper and copy.ai. If we don't, we're going to be left behind in the dust. And that's the same thing that happened to, you know, so same thing that happened about 300, 400,000 years ago for the first human types. So, you know, Homo sapiens were just one of them, but there's Homo erectus and Neanderthals, all these kind of people. That's exactly the same thing that people failed to do when they failed to learn how to control fire. They were quickly supplanted by the people who knew how to control fire. You know, fire has always been around, but the humans that a lot knew the best ways to control fire had the best opportunities for survival. And that's exactly that's what's going on in technology today and specifically with artificial intelligence. Yeah, so valuable. I agree with that. By the way, uh, I only want to add that it's not only about marketing. All niches need to adapt, adapt. AI today because uh, I see when people are scared that this technology can replace them. Yeah, it can if you don't adapt today if you don't do it because your competitors can adapt and overcome in the long run so when i spoke with uh, accounting uh, many other niches uh, uh, and they told me no we, we don't see ai in our niches you don't see today but tomorrow yeah. i know some 
big companies that uh, created tools with AI uh, and uh, eight-figure businesses. Uh, I spoke with uh, uh, the owners of these companies and they started to adapt AI to accounting. So I think all niches need to do it. Uh, it's better to start today to adapt then uh, the future will be good. Yeah. In other ways, not. <laughs> yeah. Kyrian, yeah. uh, it's a big pleasure to get in my show, to learn from you. Tell our audience the best way how to keep learning from you, how to follow you, how to reach out to you. Well, the best way is to come in and uh, take a look at the book, The Seven Essential Stories Charismatic Leaders Tell. If you like some of the stories I told on this show, you're going to see just you know dozens of these stories within the book itself three dollars and 49 cents on on amazon you know so so inexpensive but come and grab the infographic at strategypeak.com just download it i'll have all seven stories there plus examples nice nice guys you can find the link to this book in the description below listen to us on apple google spotify thanks again for your time a big pleasure love it so valuable guys you need to read this book, you need to follow Kyrian on social media. You find uh, social media accounts in the description. And see you next time. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.